I'm here with Sarah Marcotte from uh, the, uh, the company, which your first thing you want to do, Sarah, is you're going to explain to me how you arrived at the company name. Qua. Is it? Um, okay, so I was calling it QOA. Yeah. Qua. I think uh, that's also a thing between, like, let's say, English native speakers and, um, like, let's say, non-English uh, native speakers. Right. Um, we did a, like, let's say, big survey in the beginning, asking native speakers, how would you pronounce uh, QOA? And uh -huh. the majority said Qua. And I think this kind of, like, ir irritation with the name is also a cool thing because it sticks to your mind, right? You will, if you walk down the supermarket alley whatsoever, you mean, what is what is what is that right and so where we came from we thought about okay there's cocoa there's cocoa um we are not cocoa we are not cocoa and um, how about we we take this um as a kind of like uh, um, common, common route and then alternate it and um strike out some letters and it's kind of like an artsy thing it's like there's no bigger meaning behind it okay but no it makes sense now i was there i was thinking it was an acronym and I was playing kind of word games with a pen and paper, trying to come up with a Q, an O, and an A. I'm thinking quintessential, quintessential. No, I just couldn't come up with anything. So that's fantastic. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what Core does. Um, yeah. So I myself, I am just one one part of the founding team of of Core. Um, I'm I founded Core together with my brother Max, who is uh, holding a PhD in mechanical engineering. Um, I myself, I am a food chemist so studied like had a bachelor's in uh, chemistry then master's in food chemistry so i'm a big foodie my, myself i like eating i like cooking i like the transformative process of taking ingredients and then i don't know put heat put salt spices whatever and turn them into something delicious and yeah i was raised like with parents who who like to 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 cook and like food was always an important uh, piece uh, or part of my life so yeah that's why i decided to move on with food chemistry after my masters i spent one year uh, in biotechnology research in fraunhofer institute it's a research group in in germany which is i think quite prestigious at least in germany before pursuing my phd um together with nespresso and nestle in switzerland um in food chemistry and the question was um, um, the elucidation or identification of uh, pathways leading to the unique aroma and taste of coffee. I think it's like a question <laughs> that is interesting to most of us. Like you might assume that after 100 years of research in coffee, um, you might know why coffee is tasting how it does, why coffee is smelling how it does, but it's not the case, actually. Um, well, not I was just going to say, Sarah, I tried reading some of your white papers, uh, but they were in German and in PDF. Oh, sorry. To translate. So <laughs> I thought I'd do my background homework and come up with some clever questions, but it was not to be. Um, so let me ask, just on the coffee side, just to, to quickly cover off, this is not your first rodeo, as they say in America, because you worked for Atomo Coffee uh, for a time, which we did an interview with about 18 months ago with Jared and Andy there. And they were effectively doing what, well, I'm going to come on to obviously what, what, what you're doing at Coel, but they effectively were doing what you're talking about, but with coffee, right? So you, you had to go at that for a while and you, you were heading up that, that division, correct? Exactly. So this was 2019 um, that they, like we uh, got in contact, like before I tried Atoma, I was working for uh, like the world's largest science museum, the German museum in Munich and did an exhibition about coffee called Cosmos Coffee. You can Google that as well. And um, so there I 
dealt with all kinds of topics all around coffee. Also, like where's coffee coming from, biology, farmers, um, what is the whole supply chain? Um, also, the artisanal aspect all around that. And um, that granted me as a German, because I mean, what American would ever contact a German, um, granted me some visibility also in the US. And that's how we uh, got in contact. That's maybe important uh, to understand before I dig deeper into Atomo. And yeah, and then uh, the two founders reached out um, and basically, yeah, I joined them on 2019. Uh, it was like an amazing ride, uh, almost two years now. Um, they have a great team over there making good coffee without a coffee bean. And yeah, um, I mean, I cannot tell too much about what they're doing because it's also like IP and everything. But if you get a chance and drop by in Seattle or um, Whole Foods in the US, grab some of their coffees. <laughs> like. No doubt. They were a lot of fun. They were great guys. So, so you, you learned a lot, I guess, from there, and then you got the itch to, wh where did the, the transfer to Coco come? And um, actually this dates back to my, to my PhD work, um, mostly. And, um, in my, in my PhD work, I, I, I analyzed what kind of Lego stones or building blocks in green coffee translate to what kind of aroma and taste in roasted coffee. So, and basically cocoa and coffee is not so much distant from each other, right? You have a natural product that you ferment and roast, and you have this transformative process of turning something into something else. And um, my brother, he, he asked me earlier this, this year, can we not somehow commercialize my PhD research? And I said, yeah, but you know, like this was done for Nestle and this is done on coffee. And it's like, yeah, but what about cocoa? And it's like, yeah, actually, why not, right? And that's actually how it, how it started. We came from the solution side and then we learned about the environmental issues that cocoa can have, at least mass market cocoa that is produced for mass market products. I'm not speaking about nice um, single origin um, cocoa from Venezuela or Ecuador or Colombia. It's like only speaking about that chocolate that ends up in an M&M or so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, let's just talk about what it is that you that you do at Coa. So why don't you just explain explain what it is? What's what's the what's the objective? So the objective is to make a sustainable um, cocoa-free um, chocolate that is suitable for mass market chocolate applications for your Snickers coating, um, for chocolate chips and cereals, for um, cocoa powder in, in cakes and yogurts and chocolate drinks, these kind of things. So we really um, want to satisfy the appetite on chocolate on a global scale with emerging markets like China, Japan, and without like, and with that kind of like releasing the pressure on the supply chain of cocoa. Because I think like everyone wants to eat chocolate. We have just this one planet and we cannot grow cocoa everywhere. And I think we have maybe one solution to take off the pressure of the supply chain with that. Right. I mean, there are so there's a there's a number of different directions this conversation can go, but but um, certainly there's and and not enough for one conversation. So we might have to have you back another time. But um, certainly there are a, a lot of challenges everyone's aware of um, ESG challenges in the in the market, uh, and and they they span everything from you know living income issues for farmers. Two, as you talk about supply chain, now at the moment, as we record this, shipping costs have gone astronomical, and there's simply not enough containers. Um, the, the 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 backlog of ports, um, the whole container. We realize now the whole logistics. In fact, forget about containers. The whole logistics uh, network was a 
kind of a just in time. It worked okay as long as everything kept going. As soon as you stopped things, like you know, they just recently shut down the port in China. And previously to that, we had shutdowns in Brazil and shutdowns in Vietnam and shutdowns in various other places. As soon as you shut down ports, uh, you get backlogs, you get problems, you get uh, an inability to, to move uh, commodities, uh, and prices have gone astro absolutely astronomical. Now, uh, that raises another question, which is, um, why are we shipping stuff around the world? And as you said, well, because it grows near the equator, a lot of the, the commodities that we want grow in certain regions. And, and so this feeds into a question I want to I wanna come straight into, and, and we should probably, we're getting a little bit ahead of us, but question I want to come straight into, which is what are the raw, if you're not making this out of cocoa, what are the raw materials you're using? And can we, or how can we solve some of those issues um, through through maybe changing the dynamics of, of, of where those materials are located. Is that, is that part of the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, so um, I think what you pointed out is, an, is a quite important fact that we kind of like, like, the, like human, humans tend to produce something, for example, in the global south, and the nutrients from the soil, from the environment, go into this product in the, in the cocoa bean in that case, and then we transport it into the global north. So we not just have the transport of a delicious cocoa bean from uh, Ghana to Switzerland, but we also have a de facto transport of nutrients from the soil. So we kind of like export uh, nutritious soil in a way to Switzerland. And that's one, one part of the problem. And we, we said, okay, let's do a re regional approach um, that we can make chocolate with ingredients that grow in a certain area with short supply chains, with direct supply chains. And, um, and now coming to the ingredients that, that, that we are using, we're using a natural ingredients that this might sound still opaque, but to name it out quite clearly, for example, um, pea uh, husk, like from, 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 from the pea production, um, oat um, husk or oats as well. And then also press cake from the food oil industry, like rapeseed oil, I think in U in US it's called mm -hmm. canola oil, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, food waste produced that had itself or has its, itself um, a CO2 carbon footprint. So like, for example, one kilogram of food waste has like 2.5 kilograms of CO2 footprint. And um, by kind of like saving these ingredients, which are perfectly fine for human consumption, it's just not, we didn't come up in the past with processes to valorize these by, by for human consumption. That's why we have to kind of dispose them. Um, yeah, we, we, we came up with a fermentation approach, how we can turn them into um, something that tastes and feels like chocolate. Of course, it's not chocolate, but um, yeah, that's where we are right now. So this, okay, so this brings on to the nub of the whole thing, which is, so you're making chocolate without chocolate, right? And, yeah. and people might say, well, hold on a second. How that sounds, A, that sounds crazy. B, are you crazy? Uh, and <laughs> we are. And, and well, you know what is, isn't it? Who is it? Steve Jobs from Apple sort of said the here's to the crazy ones. Or maybe he quoted it from somebody else, but it was um, that the here's to the here's to the crazy ones was, I think, possibly one of his most famous uh, speeches or adverts that he did Apple way back in the day. And so it's the crazy people that, 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 that changed the world, right? Um, so, but my question is can you explain? To somebody who's scratching their head at the moment, uh, who's saying clearly, like 
chocolate tastes like chocolate because it comes, it's derived from this raw material. So I'm imagining uh, scientists in a lab with, with, with white coats and glasses and pens in their top pocket uh, with Petri dishes trying to grow a, I, I'm just saying, right? This comes to mind. That's Maybe scary. not for everybody. And they're going to grow chocolate that they scrape off into a, into a, tell me that's not how it works. What, what does this actually look like? So I think what, what, what people really have in mind is, as you said, like lab coats and something growing in the, in the lab also. Like, I think this was reinforced by all this lab grown meat thing that is popping up. Like yeah, cell yeah. culturing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we're not doing that because like, I also have the, my gut feeling that I don't want to eat something that was grown in the lab. So what we are basically doing, imagine it's more like a beer brewing process. So we get these, in, these ingredients. So for example, a pea husk or potato peel or oats, and we, we take them in our kitchen, let's say, and we have a fer 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 fermented there, similar to, to beer, beer brewing in a way. And we have various yeasts that you know from baking that you know from beer making as as well and the yeast is nibbling on those ingredients and kind of like pooping out the building blocks that make kind of like part of the aroma and taste of chocolate and then we we roast it in a conventional way and then we we end up having a cocoa powder that has i mean you cannot call it cocoa powder right but that has the sensory properties of of cocoa powder and to make chocolate, you need not just cocoa powder, as you might be aware, but you also need the, the, the butter part, like the lipid for the snappiness, for the flavor release between 32 to 35 degrees Celsius. So you have this like smooth mouth, right? And uh, we said like, hey, how about we apply this fermentation thing that we are doing, like having yeast producing our chocolate also on this part. And we came up with a, with a yeast, a certain yeast, that is doing exactly that, also nibbling on these byproducts and kind of like pooping out the cocoa butter. And so now we can have cocoa powder, cocoa butter, and we can make white chocolate, milk chocolate, or dairy-free milk chocolate and dark chocolate. So all in all, what we're using, we're using yeasts that um, human civilization is using for 5,000 years, um, that's nibbling on something um, and producing something else. And for example, when you when you bake bread, um, yeast is eating the glucose and making CO2 and ethanol. And uh, in our case, it's not CO2 and ethanol, but it is uh, lipids and flavor compounds. So the lipids are kind of a fat, right? Because you're exactly, I'm, I'm sorry. reaching yeah. the edge of my science capabilities. And can I just say that I can tell you don't work in marketing because you've used the word pooping twice. Uh, which you're not allowed to do if you ever put that in your brochure. Ooh, yeah, um, no. Uh, then, uh, I was, I was, I was just thinking if I should say secreting, but secreting sounds as scary. That sounds as, even worse. Yeah, exactly. Pooping, pooping's fine. Um, so, but but the question is, so it, I, you talked about the cocoa butter um, replacement, and that was one of my that was actually going to be one of my questions. Uh, in that, I can kind of almost understand how non-fats. And, and maybe this is, this is almost certainly just a limitation of, or, of my, or a demonstration of my ignorance, but I can understand how sort of like non-fatty um, uh, chemicals and materials are produced. But fats, aren't they, I don't know, isn't that harder to produce a fat that has the same kind of traits as cocoa butter? Yeah, and, uh, and I think that's really where our, let's say, tech savviness lies in pro like finding the right yeast strain 
that is doing exactly that, the cocoa butter with the right fatty acid composition. And um, yeah, so that's where our research is finding the right yeast because um, we only know this baker's yeast, right? But there's like millions of strains of yeast. There's wild strains. Um, mutants, now another name that is like maybe scaring, but it's like as ev evolution goes on, not just with us humans, but also with yeast, there are also yeasts that change their metabolism and produce. And by, by screening them, you will end up with a yeast that produces luckily the same um, cocoa butter as you find it in conventional cocoa. And also there, um, cocoa from Malaysia has a different cocoa butter than the one from Ghana, than the one from Venezuela. So cocoa butter is also not always cocoa butter. Also some, some changes where you have it from. I understand that um, because it's a fat that absorbs uh, its surrounding uh, chemicals and odors is one, of the, is one of the bigger issues when you're actually producing organically cocoa, um, uh, the, the, the butter uh, with, within those cocoa beans, if they're left, for instance, next to coffee bags, will absorb some of those coffee odors. And so you've got to be careful how that cocoa fat is, uh, is processed and, and shipped and maintained. Um, so, 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 okay, so going, how do you go back? Where, where's the common denominator that you take this to when you're trying to establish, I want to make something that can taste like cocoa, that can act uh i guess like like cocoa when you're when you're so because you have to turn it into a chocolate bar or or at some point right so it has to have the same characteristics in the way that it performs unless you're going to change the whole um manufacturing process so and actually that's a question to ask in, in a minute is about the manufacturing process with oh, yeah. the material but um but if you're, yeah, where do you take that? Where do you start? Do you start at some kind of DNA level? Do you start, where do you start in order to understand uh, the, the, the flavor characteristics of, a, of, of cocoa? And then, as you say, you're using yeast. And, and, and can you just walk us through a little bit of that process? I'm struggling to explain it, Will, but, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Like, where, where do you, how do you, how do you make this at the beginning? Yeah, so we started in eating a lot of chocolate, obviously. We started eating... <laughs> That sounds like a good excuse. No, yeah, but it's like really, we 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 ate, I don't know, like every day, I don't know, 10, 10 bars to get a feeling about what is the chocolate taste like. And we and we realized that there's not the chocolate taste. We all grew up with having a certain kind of like preference when it comes to chocolate. One might like Cadbury, the other one like Lind, uh, the other one like like single origin, 70% cocoa. So that was the first um, realization that actually uh, making chocolate, it's a bit easier than, for example, if we want to make coffee because we all have a different understanding of how chocolate tastes or different preferences. That was the first thing. So we tasted a lot, uh, human sensory, um, like we had panelists, we had like experts uh, saying, okay, these are the kind of parameters that you have to nail when you want to have a chocolate taste. Then we correlated these data that we get from um, sensory ex ex experts with analytical data that we get, like gas chromatography. These are all like lab lab terms now. Liquid liquid chromatography, and um, all these things that we get a kind of like idea what the what the what what humans can 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 taste. How can we translate that in a data point? Like how can we connect both? And then with this connection of both, like people could call it machine learning nowadays or whatever you might call it. You will then get an under understanding what you need to kind of like mimic or like that you have to make or that the yeast has to make to make it 
cocoa. So that was the kind of the starting point. We we came from eating chocolate um, by then breaking it down into actual data points that you have to nail to make it chocolate. And then we're like, okay, how can we get those those ingredients, those those compounds, those 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 aroma, odor, and taste compounds, where can we get them? How can we get them? And how can we get them by using yeast, by using fermentation from the byproducts? So I get, Sarah, the the analysis element and that what you're doing is you're you're basically doing um, uh, those lab tests or those 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 various tests on the on the chocolate to understand or to map out um, data points. So you're basically able to take something that I guess feels subjective to us because I taste it and I go, ooh, that's fruity, ooh, that's acidic, ooh, whatever. And you're able to say, yeah, I can actually, I can actually represent that exactly. as data points, right? Exactly. And, I, and I that bit I get. So now you've got a you've got a representative data points. You can say this collection of data, a bit like the matrix. You're looking at the numbers. You can say, ah, that's acidic, that's fruit, that's you know bitter, that's whatever. And you can take all those data points together and you can say, I understand that now. What I don't get is then, well, I guess I'm, I'm thinking that then you go to, to, to trying to recreate that. And when you say, well, we do is we, 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 you know, we use yeast and with the fermentation to, to it. For me, yeast is Marmite, right? So I, <laughs> when I think of yeast, that's the only thing I, Marmite. ah, you're a Marmite lover. Okay. Yeah. We're going to get on a well. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I I see where you're uh, heading. Um, yeah, like the like the flavor of cocoa and the flavor of chocolate comes most like most of the flavor comes from from the processing, from the fermentation, from the roasting, from the conching. So uh, with with our yeast approach, we set the kind of like baseline. We set so to speak like the the raw fermented cocoa, um, um or cacao if you want in that case then like we set the baseline pre-roasting so we kind of like uh, what we do is with this fermentation approach we 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 do not yet reproduce um roasted cocoa we still have to roast it so we have a roaster and i think um what's central to that is the maillard reaction it's named after french chemist it's uh, louis camille maillard like he founded in 1912 or something like that it's the reaction of amino acids and carbohydrates. And you find this reaction in any kind of food item. And now coming back to my foodie love. So when you, for example, sizzle a steak, when you make fries, popcorn, coffee roasting, baker cake, this reaction is taking place everywhere where you have like flavor formation with heat and time, you have this Maillard reaction. And also you have this during the roasting and now more importantly, during the conching step. And I don't know if you are familiar with conching or your, yeah, your yeah, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So we have like, I don't know, four hours, eight hours, 12 hours, 72 hours, if you like, you have temperature, 50 degrees, 60, 70. So you have like all these factors that you need for the Maillard reaction with now you have the ingredients produced from the yeast, so, so to speak, the raw cocoa, and you can process them now like cocoa. Then you have the same reactions taking place, the same Maillard reactions. So it's not like a chemical reaction, like in, in a lab, just imagine it. It's, it's happening any anywhere else, like all the time. So we roast it, we conch it, and then we end up with this flavor. Uh, so it's a kind of like processed derived flavor, similar to, to natural cocoa processing as well. Okay. So you, it's a, the, the actual processing isn't that different, or the way that you're, um, you're bringing those flavors out isn't, isn't very different. So how... Where's where's the secret? Is the secret in the type in the in the? Are you have have you got special yeast 
cultivations that you use or is that what it is? Yeah, it is It is this uh, yeast that we're using that we profiled. That's the one thing. And also um, the unique approach that we did with um, connecting human sensory science, like eating chocolate with analytical science and then breaking it down on what kind of building blocks that uh, we, we need. And that's basically what I was doing for the last 10 years. Like I researched my art chemistry. I come from the chair of my art chemistry per se worldwide. So that's kind of my, my, my core expertise. Um, and yeah, so I think the, the trick is the, com the complexity of connecting dots and then trans trans transferring these dots onto finding the right yeast strains, profiling, a lot of profiling work and fermentation work and finding the right enzymes um, that, that can then turn your byproducts into something like a, like a, like a cocoa or cacao in that, that case, like it's always like the non, non processed part of it. Okay, got it. So, Sarah, why why focus just on the bulk cocoa market, the bulk chocolate market? Is that was that a um, a technical decision, a commercial decision, or some kind of ethical decision? All of the above. I think first of all, um, I mean, I love chocolate, right? And I and I love a good single origin bean to bar chocolate. Like, there's nothing like that, right? Um, and I, I, I and Max, we don't want to have like we want to have cocoa to stay, right? And um, I think with that's why we want to, for mass market chocolate because we we also loved our um, like breakfast cereals when we were a kid with 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 cocoa in and 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 chocolate and we also want to preserve that but we also think that that the cocoa that ends up there is most of the times um, either not sourced in the right way or that it's actually a waste that it ends up in there because the actual contribution of the cocoa to the product overall is just so uh, like so so small so little that it's a shame that we waste those resources so and then coming to the technical aspect also like um you like if you want to to mimic a, a single uh, a single origin bar from venezuela or from uh, indonesia or so and we would have to come up every time with a new new process like we could do that but it's just like we would then compete with people that really do amazing work that source amazing cocoa that is grown in uh, like um, agroforestry that is uh, sourced, uh, directed, and that's not where we want to go, right? Understood. Talk about the commercial side for a second. How, how good is your math? Um, yeah, I think should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was trying to do the math and I thought, why am I answering these questions? I I'll just pose the questions and do the easy job and I'll, I'll let Sarah do all the hard stuff. So you buy a, a ton of cocoa, you know, I guess X works at Farmgate or maybe it's it's FOB in Ghana for around $17.50 a ton. Um, and then you've got the shipping costs, which we've already discussed, Ari, and who knows what those are going to be uh, actually going forward. And then uh, you've got the, the port handling costs and the uh, logistic costs to get them to, to the, the factory. Um, and that's when you start to process and, and, and add value, assuming that's what you're doing, assuming you're bringing beans across and, and not semi-finished products and so forth. So you've got all of the, the, those are the costs. It's actually not a lot, right? It's actually quite cheap, except it apart is, from the shipping is, side of things, it's actually quite cheap. It is too cheap. It is too cheap, but that's the price that chocolate companies are paying. Yes. How do you plan if you're going for the bulk cocoa market? Have you done your numbers and worked out 
how you can get that to them at a same price or cheaper. And is yeah. that even is that even the direction you're trying to go in? So I think when you speak of bulk chocolate, like big corporates, they care about sustainability for sure, but what they care more is price and you need to reach price parity. And that's also like one of the major starting points that we knew that we have to reach the price because all these startups now nowadays that are there, they're doing nice research, cell culture stuff, going to market maybe 20, 30, whatever. And we knew, no, if you want to have, uh, like if you want to have an impact, we have to meet the price. And so we engaged with a, with a, with a, with a firm in, in the US that helped us modeling this out because we wanted to get the numbers right because also Max, he's an engineer, I'm, I'm a chemist, I'm not an economist, right? Um, and we uh, got help. And for, for example, a uh, ballpark number, one ton, so 1,000 kilograms of oats is 165 euros. So it's the factor 10 cheaper than, than cocoa. And the supply chain is way, way shorter. So that plays in our cards that these byproducts are, in, are extremely cheap. And oats is not even a byproduct. They're like, right, it's a valuable food item. So I think we have the advantage on our side that the ingredients that we are using are sourced regionally. They're cheaper. But what is the disadvantage on our side, and there's the price driver, that we have to process it with this fermentation part, which is more expensive. But other, anything else, the, the roasting, the, the milling and the conching is the same with chocolate. So the only difference for us is the fermentation part. And in the end, we end up to be 20% cheaper than bulk chocolate. And this is like when we would produce 2023, like, I don't know, 100 tons or whatever, a euro let's say but we will not not end up there but maybe 2024 something like that so we we don't even have to scale crazy high to reach that price point got you so you actually touched upon my next question this beautiful segue which is talking about scalability now whenever i talk to to technologists who have amazing ideas the the secret skeleton in the closet which they don't ever want to show investors and they're terrified of anybody raising is scalability and because something that might work in a lab, uh, it's always, 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 always the biggest problem is scaling that to, to make a meaning, meaningful impact on the market or to, to reach your objectives or your potential, let's say. So we know what the potential market is for, for Belt Coco, and it's, it's huge, right? Um, making this work and demonstrating it in a small scale is one thing. Can this scale? to 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 really being you know to really being meaningful how do you i mean have you approached the scalability problems yeah so also like speaking with this firm that we engaged in the us um we we already mapped out a kind of like pilot plan with like whether capex would be like three million and we could produce uh um 100 what was it i i would have to ask max for, max for the exact numbers but but we can produce sufficient um chocolate However, this has to be proven, obviously. So I think um, what is easier for our case, other than, for example, cell cultured stuff, we don't need sterility. We don't need um, these kind of like bioreactors where you have to kind of like get a scale. Uh, our technology is basically kind of like, imagine it's as beer brewing. So the hardware costs are easier to match. But of course, we also face scaling problems. And I would lie if I would say it, it is easy. We don't have the expertise. We are not process engineers. Um, I'm a food chemist. Max is an engineer. But yeah, this is going to be a challenge in the in the future. We have to nail the scaling. This is going to be a challenge. Maybe not the biggest, but one of the biggest. 
let's talk about um aligned to this let's talk about the the big uh movement in vertical farming and and i want to just ask if your scalability plans are sort of based on using the vertical farming companies out there or copying their kind of techniques is that how you you plan to do it or or in fact it's not really like that at all because vertical farms are using you know that they're actually planting whereas you're you're going to be going about it in a different way but do you see any use for vertical farms in your scalability plans or that is that just a really a, a dumb question a non sequitur question no it's not um so we haven't taken this into account yet we didn't factor that in because this is, would also be a bet on the on the future we our numbers that we made up are from like the like the baseline that we have right now um traditional farming uh, methods regional products and the kind of like uh, availability supply availability 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 that we have right now mm. is is the is the process of um of making the the i want to call it cocoa what what, what should i call the product call it core okay Okay, so we actually will call the product core as well, not just the company. So core, yeah, just just core. just call it core if you like. Yeah, so, call it core powder, core butter. <laughs> you okay? Are you you know you know Cora, right? No. Oh, okay. So Cora, Cora makes like a vegetarian alternative to meat. Uh, you you just yeah. I, so, I, I think I heard of it. Is it based on um, a mushroom or something? Mushrooms, like yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you just don't want to have you know get a confusion between the two. But oh, yeah. um, the core, the core that you're making, how energy intensive is that? Is it how? I mean, if energy costs move strongly in, in against you, does that change the dynamics significantly for your business model? Yes, in a way. Um, because fermentation takes some energy, you need um, the agitation, you need the heating, um, but also like the roasting and the crunching. This applies, but also for the chocolate industry. So we have uh, one part of the equation that could increase, like the fermentation part, but it's not the biggest part. The biggest part is always the roasting. The roasting, yeah. right. And I think right. this will um, kind of affect all of the companies because usually you will do this with gas. And yeah, yeah. How much of the um, I know when I, I I think we were talking earlier, you mentioned um, that you may be able to use waste material as as well. So you might be buying in like new raw materials, but you might also be able to make use of um, of waste material. Is is that is how much of that is do you, do you think is going to go into your final product? What percentage can be effectively upcycled waste? So. The first prototypes that we shipped um, were 100% based on um, food waste in a way, so circular. Um, but we also realized that what is now a food waste could be in the future the most expensive ingredient, right? If, like, for example, let's talk about uh, oat husks that we are using. Uh, what if uh, we have to make 10 millions of tons of chocolate based on oat husks? Then oat husks might be the most expensive part. So we have to come up with alternative ingredients that might not be food waste. So we have to be flexible in that regard. And that's what we're heavily working on to be not dependent on the supply chain, neither the ingredients nor the regional availability so that we can provide a solution for the Philippines where there might not be oat 
So why or would I produce a chocolate in, in, in Germany based on oat and then ship it all around the globe to the Philippines? So we, we have to come up with so solutions there. And that's what, what we're tackling right now as, as well. But this is more like, of course, takes some more time. Gotcha. Yeah. One of the um, touted benefits of cocoa, and this is actually one of the one of the things that I, I particularly like, and, and it's pretty much one of the main reasons that I... I consume a small amount of really nice quality uh, cocoa. It comes from a company up in Scotland uh, called Chocolate Tree. Um, the guy who makes it out of there is amazing. And he he sells mm -hmm. these wonderful cocoa flakes by the kilo. And the 85% Belize chocolate, uh, cocoa butter, and a little bit of organic cane sugar. And I mix it in a glass uh, with a small amount of hot water. And I make a shot, which I have in the afternoon. And it's, I mean... The flavor is amazing. You should do advertising. It's like oh, <laughs> I um, I'm just being honest about how how it is because I give that to people who come around, and they think I've added something to it. I say no, there's no flavoring, there's nothing. And they're like, but this doesn't taste like chocolate. This is amazing. This is it's so intense, and it's fruity. And and they're trying to pin me down on what's different. I'm like, no, it's just it's it's the flavor from the cocoa, but also, and it's just water, right? There's no milk in it. I don't put milk in it or anything else. Uh, but also, for me, I'm I'm interested in the cardiovascular benefits. Um, I've been reading the white papers that were produced. I don't know. Uh, there was there was, I think a year or two ago, uh, a number of new studies that were done on the the cardiovascular benefits in particular. So uh, help in prevention of atherosclerosis or um, uh, people who have uh, difficulty in, in, in walking because they may have some, um, not neuropathy, but, but different kinds of cardiovascular disease. And, um, and the, the studies have shown that, that, that cocoa was one of the most, uh, one, of the most uh, one of the best products in terms of the flavanols and uh, polyphenols that are that are in there as active ingredients in in helping right cardiovascular so i guess i had this question because it was gonna it sounded a lot more intelligent when i when i when we wrote our questions out but having you know listened to what you've said you're going for the bulk cocoa market i just wanted to cover it off you're not going to have those those beneficial um uh, th th those benefits from from your your co-op product right those, those if you're going to be using different materials to make it you you can't inherit those those benefits that's going to be maintained to the high-end cocoa is that right so yeah exactly we cannot nail exactly the health benefits of cocoa but i think what you also already like kind of like in, included in your question is that um you will find these benefits in high percentage cocoa Yes, and not in like milk chocolate. Not in a Mars or, bar. <laughs> exactly, because if you want to uh, eat Mars bars for the health benefits, you would have to add, eat, I think, seven kilograms of Mars. It's possible. Uh, yeah, it's possible, <laughs> exactly. But um, so all research applies pretty much for super high um, percentage cocoa chocolate. And also yeah. there, like I just pulled up the numbers, I think some days ago from the Washington Post, you have to add, eat like seven, uh, seven average sized chocolate bars. In the US, I think average size is 50 grams. So you have to eat like 350 grams of chocolate a day to really can measure the benefits. output. So I think at the studies, it was like four, they were giving them four intense shots of cocoa a day over okay. over a period of three months. I'm going to say I might be wrong on that, but it was it was a significant, a lot more than I drink. 
Yeah, you know. uh, but to, to 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 fairly answer your question and not act like a politician in a in a in a, in a way, um, we, however, have different health benefits. One is that we don't have theobromine, which is a caffeine um, ana analog, so it's you could call it more child friendly in a way because it's not a yep. neurostimulant. Um, that's one thing. Uh, we also do have the uh, uh, ventral meats from oat, like these very um, health beneficial compounds that are in oat. That's one thing. And we also have flavonoids and antioxidants that stem um, in one of the ingredients that we use to get this astringent bitter taste, if you want. Like it's um, actually, I, sh I should not disclose it too much, but um, there's a, a residue from winemaking. And uh, ah. you might know resveratrol, which is for yes. like which is addressed for red wine, have very health beneficial. Yeah, um, yeah. This could be potentially. I don't want to disclose too much. Uh, end up in our chocolate as well, and then <laughs> you have kind of like the health benefits. Max is bread. cursing you right now from the sidelines. Yeah, but you. <laughs> no, no, but you you could kind of like Im imagine having the health benefits of red wine in your chocolate without having the alcohol. But of course, it's not the same as 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 cocoa. It's different. But I think if you want to have the health benefits of cocoa get this nice Belize 85 percent cocoa chocolate and indulge it listen that whole thing about the 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 the, the, the chemical i can't pronounce the reservoir thing i mean all uh red wine i i read about that years ago and i tried drinking several bottles of wine a day uh and, and well <laughs> i may have had some health benefits but the hangover wasn't worth paying the price um so <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> so uh, i can i can do that but yeah no um that's very interesting what you say and presumably you don't have cadmium neither which which uh, some no. cocoa uh has an issue with so that's really that that's fascinating we are going to come back another time because we're almost out of time we're going to come back another time sarah and we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the or maybe more about the supply chain side and and, and maybe to. some of the problems there with the social because i think that is an important question to ask i didn't want to get sidetracked i really wanted to stick with the science today and get a little bit nerdy but um, maybe i can jump in there with just one one thing that i want to add that we we engage conserva conservationists so we engage with people that help us to assess the impact of our invention on the on the on the origin countries because one thing that I learned from the exhibition that I did, the inventor usually never thinks about the impact that the invention might have in scale, for example. Thinking of Nespresso capsules, the inventor didn't think about what aluminum waste could have as a potential um, outcome. And that's why for us it was important in the very, very beginning to engage with conservationists, with NGOs to address that how can we um, by not just lowering the pressure on the supply chain, also help the farmers have the families that that like base their living on cocoa, right? So, yeah, though that would be lovely to talk about it. And uh, the biggest example of scientists getting that wrong is, uh, is of course, the atomic bomb. Uh, and if you ever read uh, Richard P. Feynman's um, fantastic, well, he's written a number of books, uh, but his his fantastic book, uh, surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. Uh, he gives a he gives a wonderful portrayal of uh, of his involvement in the development of uh, of the nuclear bomb, but of course nobody saw where that was going. They had their reasons at the time, and so you have I wouldn't say myopic, but you have a very limited when you're developing something. You're developing it in a very limited artificial intelligence right now. Exactly uh, is is, a, is another example. Um, I'm just actually one thing. I think we can end in a slightly odd in an odd way because I was going to sort of end it there, but I I forgot to mention. <laughs> I just forgot to mention you came out of Y Combinator. Oh yeah, right. Which was which kind of shocking to me. I'm like, wait a minute, 
Y Combinator, so people who don't know, Y Combinator is an incubator for tech companies. And I'm trying to think of probably who the most famous companies who've come out of, I can't remember, but probably, I'm going to take a wild guess and say probably something like PayPal or something came out of, that's the kind of, that's the kind of company that you expect to come out of Y Combinator. You came out of Y Combinator. What was, I mean, it, it is food becoming tech now? It seems so. So, but I think the, the main motivation for us was when we joined in May um, that we are Germans, right? We are very structured. We are, so we, we, we plan to, to do things slowly, like hiring the first people end of the year and things like that, right? And Y Combinator um, gave us this kind of like US way of thinking to accelerate things, hyper growth, do it quickly. Um, for a demo day that was just like two or three days ago, we had to have a product. And that's what we had to nail, right? So we we had to focus on making a product. That was one thing. And also, we're not just anymore like a scrappy German startup somewhere in Munich doing something, but we are the Y Combinator startup doing the world's first cocoa-free chocolate. Oh, there's the notification. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Your so, next meeting's due. Yeah. And yeah. And to answer your question, if, if it's becoming tech now, I think food was always tech. If you think of agriculture, farming, um, like humans tend to use technology to transfer food items and um, to not over uh, overuse the fermentation example, but like beer brewing is per se a technological process. And I think for Y Combinator, um, there are more and more food tech, biotech startups um, getting their interest as well. Um, and yeah, I don't know what was their motivation to take us. Maybe they like chocolate or maybe they like the tech. I, I don't know. But, but you it, applied it, to them, right? You you applied to them and you said, okay, we want to go through that process. We want to get some of that mentoring, get access to the people involved. Exactly. And uh, and and they took you on. That's really amazing. Yeah. And it was so, for me really an honor because I always wanted to be there. And it's like the kind of like Stanford stamp for us. It is. It's the gold standard in terms yeah. of incubators. So, so congratulations on that. We really look forward to seeing where you where you go with this. Uh, I hope you'll come back. Uh, don't ignore us, and uh, we'll look to look to talk to you in the future and 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 see what kind of progress you're you're getting to. Feel free to send me chocolate. I'll be happy to uh, invest my time uh, in in into helping you assess your 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 direction strategically by eating as much chocolate as you want to send me. Um, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. That was a blast. <laughs> it was a blast.